0: they've also given us a model to become our own leaders and let me tell you what it means to to me coming in as a different generation i remember my middle child waking up with nightmares over concern around climate change
1: democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be
2: republicans were predicting a red wave But they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two
1: years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny.
3: Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. That was the House Democratic Whip, Catherine Clark. Uh, if you're like me, you have no clue who this woman is <laughs> or where she's from, but she strikes me as an, a particularly shitty parent.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's pretty insane. I mean, that's pretty insane.
3: I mean, it, the comment itself is just absolutely amazing. It, it, you know, it goes to show that despite campaign rhetoric and everything, you know, everything can get overheated, but this is actually what they act, they believe. Right. Yeah. I, I actually said it on Twitter. Like, if somebody told me this, like
1: we were talking about our kids and stuff and it's a, i would call child protective services <laughs> on you i would snitch in a second
0: well i, I love it's bringing back that meme because for years it was a joke on twitter of people would try that tweet of like my four-year-old child just walked up to me and said right, like, <laughs> yeah, right. it was a bit a fascist. you know it was like a joke everyone would laugh at that like the whole ruth conda forever meme yeah came from some lady being like my daughter just heard Ruth, Ruth Bader, Bader, Bader Ginsburg died. She's four years old and said, Ruth Conda forever. And everyone <laughs> yeah. like is like, what the hell is wrong with you people?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clear. It's input-output. I mean, if you were showing your kids aliens one, two, and three, you better believe they're going to be coming to you with nightmares about aliens.
3: Oh, mm. man. Unbelievable. Well, first of all, Smug, welcome back to the program. Good to be back. Thank God. Are you healed? I am. So, uh,
0: you know, we were discussing this before uh, we started recording. I have a a radically different approach to when I get sick than Duncan, which is I stay home so I don't infect other people. (laughs) Wow. Right under the bus, dude. Gets everyone sick, and he's like, where were you?
3: And you think he he procured a particularly deadly variant It was an out-of-control
0: strain. It it knocked me down. I survived. (laughs) Thank God. And it's because, you know, I had so many well wishes. Thank you so much to our listeners (laughs) on Twitter. I made it.
1: A guy acts like he was, you know, in the trenches on the Maginot Line. Okay, <laughs> had a mild
3: cold for a it week. It was rough, It was brutal. <laughs> he, but he, he puts blame squarely on you, Dunks. Uh I mean, look, I think that's fair. He owns it.
1: I, I, yeah. I think that's fair, that's and fair. I admitted that on the on the last show. But like, look, we had a show in Las Vegas. Was I not going to show up? Sure, you sure know.
0: I mean, it is like I mean, a superpower yours. to be like I can have any plague. And I don't get really sick, but I can spread it. I mean, that's the that's superpower. Well, I can spread
1: it. Well, some of us like to show up for work, Smug. <laughs>
3: oh. oh, shots fired. Shots fired. Well, welcome to a full complement of the Variety program here. We got a lot of fun stuff for you. Smug, you did a different and interesting interview today.
0: I did, and, and this is one that uh, we've tried to get, and we finally landed it. All, all the stars aligned, everyone's schedule aligned. We have Mike Solana on the show. Uh, lots of our listeners, lots of folks who follow us on Twitter uh, definitely know Mike Solana, and he's been conversing a lot with Elon lately uh on twitter well, and, give us and,
3: a little bit of his background so we know who this gets so everybody know. i mean i know who he is sure but.
0: so uh he, he's a great friend he's one of the most interesting people i know and i've said this i am pretty sure i said this a couple times on twitter he's my favorite living author i mean mm-hmm. he's an incredible writer uh brings a lot of perspective to kind of like the crossroads between politics and culture uh, from, from Without like a partisan lens. It's just like honest observations. And a lot of it lately is rightfully calling out the hypocrisy and insanity on the left. Um, great writer. He's going to be on the show today.
3: Yeah. Well, he's got a tech background too, right? I he mean. does.
0: Uh, he's at Founders Fund. Uh, most of our listeners probably know that because the association was founded by Peter Thiel. Uh, he's worked closely with Peter for a number of years. Uh, this guy really does it all. He started his own company, Pirate Wires, a media company. Um, he also is the host of Hereticon. Hopefully, it's an annual consortium of, of, of people who are kind of fighting against groupthink. It's it's very interesting. Uh, he, he does a number of things. He does them well, and I think our listeners are going to really enjoy him.
3: Well, good. So we're outside of the box a little bit on the interview today, and we love to hear it. He's obviously a great guy. Uh, we've welcomed, welcomed Smug back, so we'll get, you know, a little different perspective here as we, <laughs> we get back into things. But, you know, look, I think that the one thing uh, that we have to... Again, we're sponsored by Masterworks. Yes. Right? Uh, we'll get into their sponsorship a little later in the program. But first, let's get into the Twitter files. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: That's that's probably the biggest thing going. Isn't it? It's really something.
3: I think it is. I uh, So... If you miss this, you're forgiven. It's the holiday season. Mm-hmm. But part of what those of us who believe that the acquisition of Twitter by Elon Musk and Co. was good for was unmasking a bunch of the behind the scenes efforts by the left to try to silence the right. Mm-hmm. Right? Chief amongst them was the Hunter Biden episode with the laptop and how they banned uh, the New York Post after. Printing an article about the existence of this laptop. It was one of the more egregious episodes of leftist uh, banning of free speech in modern memory. Correct?
0: I mean, it's it's stunning. It's horrific what they accomplished. Where essentially the entire media, uh, with Twitter leading the charge uh, behind this, because of, of of folks that were there, like you know uh, Vijaya. Uh, who, who musk fired on day one they essentially didn't let information out that they felt would hurt joe biden ahead of an election it's incredible when you think about it they had uh, uh numerous what was it former like intel people sign a letter being like this is russian disinformation
1: all the hallmarks
0: which we yeah yeah, yeah. which we now know is an absolute lie uh the new york post uh, a paper started by alexander hamilton was banned publishing this material, if you if you tweeted out a link to the article, you got locked out of your account. It's incredible, and it was essentially uh, you see the nexus between the left and corporations and big tech at work in, in an unprecedented way, where they are basically doing everything they can to kind of tip the scale, right? Where they are keeping information from the public, they're punishing people for publishing factual information, which is horrific. And they accuse that information of being Russian disinformation or disinformation in general, which itself is disinformation, as we now know.
3: Yeah. Like, right.
0: it, it, you know, the, the disinformation is coming from inside the house. Right. It, it was from that entire group who was like, we were protecting democracy. We want to stop disinformation. All they really want to do was to have complete control over the information that the public's allowed to have.
3: Which and we, we've talked about this a lot, right? Which is basically the. the consortium of the leftist media and the left in this country basically working in tandem mm-hmm. with the establishment Democratic Party to to attempt to just basically ban or limit speech of any kind that they find disagreeable right right and you find out months and months after the fact that like some of these things are true maybe some all of these things are true and and there's no apology no recourse but we've never had a look under the hood mm-hmm. right it's all been honest mistakes yep Right? Yep. I mean, oh, jeez. You know, I mean.
0: And they want you to feel lucky that you got that.
3: Yeah. Like, oh, we, you got a
0: G-shocks. That's it. That's all you're getting out of us,
3: folks. Nobody's giving back Pulitzers. Yeah. You know, nobody's talking about how they made egregious mistakes in public information flow to the American people. It's all just sort of under the hood and, and we move on. Well, I think one of the reasons why I've called Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter one of the most patriotic things I've seen a billionaire do in my lifetime mm-hmm is because it does open the hood now granted he's doing this in a little bit different way than many i mean usually if you have this level this size and this magnitude of expose we're talking like 60 minutes Mm -hmm. right we're talking about a big deal, but it but it implicates a lot of the people that we're talking about here in the mainstream media. Yeah,
2: no, that's right. And, you know, to be honest with you, I was sort of surprised with how successfully it spread, given the fact that they released all of it at one time at the end of the day on a Friday and, you know, on usually, Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. So usually, usually you'd, you wouldn't release it all in one spot. You would spread it out. You'd start, you wouldn't start, you know, at the end of the day. On a Friday, maybe they thought that that's when journo's were not paying attention anymore, so they get a bum rush on them or something. I don't know their strategy, but it's a little little unconventional. But it spread, uh, maybe not as much as it could have, but it, it did spread because the information was explosive.
3: Yeah, it was. It, it, but it's important to recap it because I don't think there's been any explosive retweets, right? right. I mean, right. I feel like right. it's a, right. it's basically all of us saying, "You see, we told you." Mm-hmm. and and none of the mainstream apparatus or any of your general consumers of information that are like, wow, this is a real game-changing event. Right. But it is a game-changing event. And so I think let's start with the New York Post coverage. I think that's only apropos, given yeah. that they were the victims of this situation. You'll notice before I get into it that Elon, at the end of the day on Friday, was basically like, we're going to post a lot of information that you've heard for the first time here and sort of ramped it up. Mm -hmm. And then Matt Taibbi um, basically tweeted out a big thread about all the information that they had had garnered from this. But this is the New York Post. Twitter, quote-unquote, just freelanced its baseless decision to censor the post-bombshell Hunter Biden laptop scoop in the run-up to the 2020 election, with top-level workers at the social media giant agreeing to a controversial decision that was, quote-unquote, effed up. A damning insider communications release by CEO Elon Musk reveal Friday. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Mm -hmm. The chaos and the confusion behind closed doors at Twitter in the immediate aftermath of the October 2020 Hunter Biden expose show that a small group of top-level execs decided to label the post story as quote hacked material unquote without any evidence behind the back of then-CEO and founder Jack Dorsey. Fascinating. And, yeah. and
0: David Sachs, friend of the program, made a great point on Twitter where he was like, this is the importance of like empowering founders at companies because the second you let go of the reins, especially now, especially at, at these large tech companies, you're gonna have leftists fill that void fill that vacuum of power and that's what we saw happen
1: yeah, yeah i mean but part of that's jack dorsey's fault he, yeah he's probably meditating in a hot sauna in thailand yeah. somewhere you know like that guy he just didn't have his hands
3: on the wheel
0: yeah and to- this is a huge deal right. huge decision to absolutely completely pull from thin air that this is hacked material
3: yeah it's at the end of an election cycle remember this is in october of 2020 just about any information has an influence of, of voters at the time right if you flash back four years prior to that we were talking about james comey and the fbi and a potential reopening of an investigation against hillary clinton which democrats i mean to this day many say were responsible for losing the election right so it's the same backdrop that we're talking about where these decisions were made musk tweeted a link of an account of independent journalist Matt Taibbi shortly after 6 p.m., who shed light on Twitter's shady censorship decisions by posting what appeared to be redacted emails between Twitter employees. The decision to censor the post story was made, quote, at the highest levels of the company, unquote, according Taibbi, uh, but without Dorsey's involvement. Fascinating again, mm-hmm. right? Fascinating. So, but, but, but. Like just backing off this for a minute. If you recall, the story itself was about the existence of a laptop, mm-hmm. about the existence of a laptop that contained information, met much of which was incredibly terrible for Hunter Biden because right. it included, like, you know, his relationship with the, hookers and everything else. But it also included business dealings that he had with Chinese, with and, Ukrainians, mm-hmm. right? And that's
0: mm-hmm. so telling for me is that information from the laptop showed very directly uh a connection of hunter biden being like oh well you know who my father is right like uh why are the money here and let's set up an office and let's get a set of keys for my dad there too so all that kind of sketchy influence peddling business was on the laptop but you see the focus from journalists who're trying to like oh, it's a nothing burger. It's just Hunter with guns and cocaine and hooks.
3: But they didn't even do that. They just said it was Russian dif- disinformation. And I think to level set for a minute, the reason why Democrats at the time were so sensitive to to that is that, remember the, the Ho- Access Hollywood video came out? Mm-hmm. And then the next day or maybe within the day.
2: Explosion.
3: There was all kinds of emails from WikiLeaks, from the Hillary Clinton campaign that sort of overshadowed the, all, all that or should have overshadowed all of that because it was it was clearly at that point was hacked information, but it was hacked information that implicated Hillary Clinton in a whole bunch of shady dealings, right. and her staff in a whole bunch of shady dealings that they didn't want to deal with in the last month of an election, right? So clearly the Democratic establishment and the, the left writ large and their allies and the establishment media thought, okay, we're running against Trump again. It's in October of 2020. We got to be on the lookout for these kind of things. Right,
0: and that's the thing, and that's so damning. Is it was a choice made by them to lie. It was a choice classifying this as hack material when the New York Post very clearly showed the provenance of it. Of like, Hunter left this laptop at a repair place. Yeah, he he was high as a kite, forgot he even dropped it off for God knows what. But the direct provenance, like the guy, literally had the receipts. the The repair shop owner literally had the receipts. This is Hunter Biden's laptop. This is not hacked information. But but but
1: Look. even if they even if they didn't and they doubted it and they thought it was too gray, you know, was, we don't know. We don't know enough. Why is it your decision? Like mm. it's it should be the decision of the other people in the media <clears throat> to fact check the New York Post story to put out their own story and if they want to have comment in there from somebody saying we think this is Russian disinformation that's how things are supposed to work well, in a democracy and, that, and that's, that's the dangerous. debate
2: why is Twitter deciding what the debate should but be but then and then I mean I think just to back up a second I think one of the most interesting things is that the media at writ large's decision was not to downplay it it was to discredit it right mm-hmm. and what did they use at the top of their stories the non-Post outlets what did they use at the top of their stories? Twitter has taken this offline. Yeah. Just to provide uh, readers with the thought that maybe there's, maybe this isn't accurate. Yep. Right.
1: Yep. It, th- that's right. It gave it's credibility to an argument that was bullshit.
3: That's yep. right. So as Taibbi put it, the internal communications reveal just how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get unfucked, as one employee <laughs> put it. After Dorsey jumped in, according to Taibbi, Twitter's former head of legal policy and trust. Uh, what's this dude's name? Her name.
0: Vijaya Gandhi. Her
3: name. Uh, so this is the lawyer, essentially, at the mm-hmm. time? Okay. She played a, a key role in the censorship decision. Dammy emails and comments from former Twitter employees show that everyone knew, quote unquote, the social media giant's suppression of the post scoops about Hunter Biden's infamous laptop was quote fucked up. Yeah,
0: I love how that's basically the only operating term that they're using. A lot of fucked up. Company. Yeah, everything yeah. they're doing is fucked up. And we-
3: again, we're a family program. I don't uh, enjoy uh, repeating what they said, but I'm reporting it yeah. as I diligently do on the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, the company's shaky rationale for taking the extraordinary step. Um, was that the story violated the company's quote-unquote hacked materials policy, according to Taibbi, which was questioned by many insiders.
2: Well, here's the thing. Their rationale may have been shaky. Their partisanship was not. Mm. These people are Democrats making decisions to help their favorite party, putting their thumb on the scale to pick winners and losers, and that is exactly what people hate.
0: There was this like insane backlash after 2016 among the Dems where... Their takeaway was basically like, okay, Trump was allowed to have a free voice. We can't allow any sort of a right-wing voice in public spaces. We need to have a total and absolute monopoly on what the public can see Yeah,
2: Libs are not funny on Twitter. How do we put our thumb on the scale so that people do not see the humor or anything entertaining out of Republicans? Because that is the only way that we can defeat them. Well, one of the most fascinating things I I read in in this
1: whole uh, dump was some of the internal communications with Ro Khanna, do you know the the congressman from California? Yeah, who was concerned. Yeah, progressive Democrat. Um, Because he was making the argument, I think a lot of conservatives were making at the time, which was like, this hacked materials policy. You're telling me, like, if it was the Pentagon Papers, which were stolen, you wouldn't you wouldn't put that up on Twitter to find out the truth of what was happening in Vietnam. Like there's huge First Amendment totally. in, implications mm-hmm. for media companies in this. But everybody just sort of accepted this because it helped their favorite candidate yep. and Count- it was against any sort of values of, a, of like a, a liberal democracy.
0: Count me shocked that these are com- or these are messages coming from a Democrat. Member of Congress because it was stunning, and, and Elon in a tweet even even gave him a shout out where he was like, "Yeah, I was surprised too." Rokon, is was like a Democrat and still,
3: yeah, did he, not he's like a, he's that. A,
0: this is essentially he, just attacking the First Amendment.
3: He's a very principled guy, though, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you're going to disagree on everything, but right. he's the kind of guy that you would expect that they would see around the corner and figure out right. that there could be potential problems, right? F- forever, right? Based on these decisions. So listen to this. This is from the comm shop, which I also found fascinating. The comm shop at Twitter has to answer questions for the rest of the media about why they banned this thing. Quote, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe, Trenton Kennedy, a communications official, wrote God. in an impaired, gotta, internal you, email to colleagues. You got to kind of feel bad for the guy. Well, know? I mean, he's got an impossible ta- situation, right?
2: not tasked with explaining away their partisanship. Right.
0: But Can't, also, I bet inside that building, like everyone's looking at him like what yeah. the hell are you no, doing I don't, you know, I don't actually feel bad for the guy you know, but that's a tough job <laughs> it's not
2: it's not uh, i got it just to, to draw a parallel here it's not dissimilar from what your run-of-the-mill reporter has to deal with when they get a hot email from an editor yeah. who says no this doesn't help democrats enough mm, right yep. and they're like well yep. wait a minute i'm supposed to tell both sides here and my reporting shows that democrats are the bad guys the, the editor is like no, I'm sorry. Republicans <laughs> are evil. Democrats are good. <laughs> right. Therefore, our paper will write Democrats good in the lead. Like, What's the upshot, Trenton? Yeah. yeah. So,
3: but Trent Kennedy was not the only one. There's another one. Quote: Can we truthfully claim this is part of the policy? Former Twitter Twitter Vice President and Global Communications Officer Brandon Borman asks in another missive. Taibbi said that they even resorted to a rarely used tactic. To stop the dissemination of the story, blocking the sharing of the links to the story via direct message, a tool that is only used in extreme cases, such as the distribution of child pornography. Jeez.
0: I mean, that'll tell you, like, this is the New York Post. This is news with a factual basis that the New York Post put out, and Twitter makes the decision to do everything in their power to stop this story that hurts Democrats from getting out, right? It,
1: it was it was also fascinating, I think, for some to watch some of the people in the media, yeah, um, you know, on Friday night and everything, sort of like change tactics on their opposition to this this New York Post story staying up because it, before it was the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, right? right? Now it's all dismissed as what well, these are dick pics of Hunter Biden, like. Like, that's why it shouldn't have been on the internet.
3: And it's like, well, that wasn't really the argument you were making at the time. But it also wasn't the information that was revealed
1: right? Time, right? right. It was and much New- more substantial. And I'd point out the New York Post didn't have any of those pictures.
0: None. No, right. which, that's you know, That's a thank great God. point. That's a good yeah. point.
3: <laughs> because, you know, I mean, look, the, the, the feet and the... Oh, God. No. You know, I mean, we just didn't need it. The,
0: the other thing that, that really struck me about, like, the mainstream media response is it was almost like all these people are in some kind of like slack channel sharing the talking points because uh uh, mcdaniel put together these screenshots if you did a search on twitter of quote pr richest you see basically every major left-wing account on twitter being like wow i can't believe matt tyvee's doing pr for the richest
1: (laughs) man on earth yeah like they're all npcs in a video game repeating the same
3: line but that's what that's what they are Right, That's I mean, they're it. all big on a on a some DM list, or at least it right. appears to be, where like the talking points hit, and all of a sudden, whether it's it's Ben Collins or whether it's you know you name the name, they're they're all immediately saying the exact same thing. And also, on
1: Twitter. Ben works for NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, which has a market cap of 150
0: billion dollars. Yeah, right. Oh no, but he's he's fighting for the small guy. he's, yeah. he's the underdog here. <laughs> Like he so <laughs> speaking of the devil, Ben Collins tweets out, Imagine throwing it all away to do PR work for the richest person in the world. Humiliating shit. An hour later, Mehdi Hassan, a guy with a TV show. Imagine volunteering to do online PR for the world's richest man on a Friday night in service of Nick Lee. Like it's incredible how these people because I think this has been a radical transformation. And they
3: were all attacking the messenger, by the way. That's there, it. it was Matt Taibi, who um, had an incredible career as a mainstream journalist became an independent journalist. All of a sudden, I I don't even want to say he was red-pilled. I think he just basically saw the corruption of his own industry. He
2: wasn't allowed to say what he saw and but, that's the entire
1: purpose of journalism you may right. you, you may remember him from the 2008 financial crisis when he wrote that story yes. on goldman sachs and i think vampire squid yeah the famous line was that goldman sachs was a vampire squid on the face of humanity jutting its blood funnel in anything it smelled like money
3: yeah it's crazy, something like it's that crazy, it's just right, fantastic writing right, but,
0: but that's the thing is like that that I was asked. just in oh it's not that long ago and so quickly you've seen a realignment of the left of being like okay the occupy wall street kind of party To now being like, oh, we work at like major corporations and we stand with like a corporation making this decision. They're struggling to try and couch their belief system, which used to be in fighting for like the little guy into, well, we control the media. We control academia. How can we uh, try to couch this argument against this singular journalist posting this very uh, important information. And they're like, oh, uh, he's doing PR for the richest guy. He and gets, like you yeah, just point out, dude, they're
2: all at multi-billion we, corporations. We, we know that they don't stick up for the little guy. We know they stick up for big government. That's ex- that's the only thing they care about is control of the people they do not like. We You never saw this guy tweet about doing that a New York Times reporter doing PR for one of the richest guys on the planet, Carlos Slim, Yep, one of the richest guys on the planet, owns a huge stake in the New York Times. You've never seen him make that complaint about them.
0: Or anyone at the Washington Post complaining about being owned by Jeff Bezos. Exactly. You don't hear that.
3: <laughs> no, but, but, I, but I think also just, again, to level set for a minute, what they're talking about in their chief critique of this coming out through Taibbi's account is that he's doing PR for Elon Musk. Okay. Who's the who's the little guy here that is getting damaged? Right. What Elon Musk is revealing is a corruption amongst the big guys, Mm -hmm. right? Elon has absolutely no financial gain to make in this by doing what he's doing. If he were to just want to buy it and run it, you know, maybe change some advertising practices and make it, you know, I mean, he could do whatever he wants to do with it. Right. But by going straight at the establishment corporate media and the decision-making behind these big tech companies to ban stuff like this, he's taking huge risks. Mm -hmm. It's him that's the one that's taking the risks here. This is not the richest man in the world who's attempting to try to dissuade people from following a story about him. It's quite the opposite. He's He's trying to take on the only thing more powerful than he is the media
2: is shooting at him every single day i mean in every major paper there's a story that's trying to undermine elon and everybody who's listening to this show knows that he doesn't care he just sees the press as like oh keep trying fellas because it's not working he's actually being very successful in what he's doing in twitter by any objective measure on the inside and <clears throat> and I think that, that that drives them nuts.
0: And to a certain extent, I think that this shows how much the media has atrophied is because they were so used to an environment where they had absolute control on what is said, who's allowed to speak, that in the absence of that environment, they're like, uh, what's our argument here, guys? Uh, world's uh, richest guy, guy. <laughs> are we going to say uh, he, he's a Nazi hate speech? Like, which one are we rolling with? They're throwing everything at the wall they can to avoid the simple fact that They demand to have absolute control over what the American people can see or hear. they're,
2: They're being exposed here, and they're trying to say that Elon is some kind of a Trump guy. I don't know if you guys saw all over the weekend Trump said something about get rid of the Constitution or something like that. Elon criticized him. I don't know. Did you see this? Yeah. Elon tweeted against it. And so, like, it's not like he's like some Trump guy, they're, well, they're trying everything covered, they as can. Well, as we've covered,
3: Elon's not a Republican, right? Right. I mean, right. this is that again, I go back to the same statement, this is the most patriotic thing that I've seen a billionaire do. This is not about party for this guy. This is somebody who, like, uniquely appreciates the First Amendment, uniquely appreciates how we have drifted over the years and the censorship that is taking place amongst free speech in this country. But here's an additional point that Taibbi tweeted that I think is I, I, very relevant. Taibbi also revealed the company emails responding to a request from, quote, from the Biden team, unquote, during the run up to the 2020 election, shortly after the company cracked down on the post's Hunter Biden story. Another dated October 24th, 2020, said an additional report from the DNC in apparent reference to the Democratic National Committee one dated October 24th, 2020 said, more to review from the Biden team, along with a list of tweets and responses that someone wrote back handled these. Mm-hmm. So what, what it appears, and you tell me, Smug, because you, you saw the list of, of tweets that they were talking about here. What it appears is that the DNC and the, and the Biden campaign were flagging tweets from individual users on the platform to twitter itself to say like these need to come down
0: 100 and elon pointed this out as well of how horrific it is that the dnc and the biden campaign were essentially given the keys to the kingdom of yet they can send uh twitter corporate an email of tweets that they're lo- that make them look bad that make them look bad and they're like okay we want these tweets taken down and these people blocked and and it, like like it said right here in the article the response from twitter was handle these
3: Handled these. Handle these. I mean, that part is wild to me, guys. Right. I mean, I'm overreacting to that. No, and It I- just seems crazy to me that there's an interaction between the DNC, the Biden campaign, and Twitter about individual posts if that you, are happening. If you go
1: back and you listen to our appearance on Megyn Kelly last week, we, we talked about this, right? Like yeah. We talked about how there is a hand-in-glove relationship with the DNC and some of these tech platforms to suppress content. And that, like, you know, Smug, you've told me this so many times, like that like you would put up a video that made a Democrat look really bad, and then suddenly you start getting, getting like, DMCA yep. violations, Flagged. flags on your account from, like, tweets from years and years ago because it's an orchestrated campaign that the DNC and these Democratic operatives use to to try to take content that hurts them off the Internet
0: that's a hundred percent it and and this shows they took it to uh the next level where they didn't try to operate within any sort of existing systems of like reporting it if if they're like this meme is using copyright information this was a direct access that was given to these people yeah they were given carte blanche directly and they get the response handled it it's it's stunning and I think what is especially outrageous is the reaction from the mainstream media to yeah. all of this of trying to be like, oh, well, that's no big deal that, uh, you know, the DNC can contact a social media network and dictate well, to they, them. But they
3: blow past that smug. That And I think that's the point. The, the point here is that you blow past the actual egregious part of what was revealed here. And like here's a good example. The New York Times. Here's their lead. The so-called Twitter files released Friday evening uh, by the independent journalist Matt Taibbi set off a firestorm amongst pundits, media uh, ethicists, and lawmakers in both parties. It offered a whole window in a fractured, monitored landscape of news where a story's reception is often shaped by readers' assumptions about the motivations of both the reporters and the subjects. Okay. Like, again, that that's fair. That, that seems like if you're going to cover this in terms of a media story— that makes some sense, but here's where it goes off the rails because then they do exactly what it is that they are claiming happens in this fractured right. and by inference a less uh, you know sort of ethical right. media environment. Then they do exactly what it is that they're saying because then they, then they say, uh, and the many modern news stories, the Twitter files were quickly weaponized. Oh yeah. In service of a dizzying number of pre-existing arguments, the Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who often accuses liberals of sifting through uh, free speech, made the claim that documents uh, show a systemic violation of the First Amendment, the largest example in modern history. They go and they name name check the House Republicans who are concerned about this. Then they go back to Musk and Barry Weiss and, and like a who they claim to be like existential villains.
0: That's the thing. And the fact
3: that the villains are concerned about this should tell you as a reader... It's not important. Nothing to see. Yeah.
0: Right? There's been a very concentrated effort on the left to be able to have this control on speech and to be able to maintain this monopoly on censorship of saying that, like, well, words are violence. Like, they changed people are saying mean things about me into online safety. You know? Like, left-wing activists are no longer... Oh, this person does comms on campaigns for a left-wing dark money nonprofit into internet safety expert. Yeah. So then they can cite that individual and be like, "Well, an internet safety expert said that uh, yeah. Tucker Carlson is a terrible person and that uh, all of this uh, Hunter Biden stuff is Russian disinformation." And then they get themselves a, a reporter like a uh, uh, Taylor Lawrence or Ben Collins to put that in a mainstream publication. That then they can say, "Hey." Look at this.
3: Look at this. Twitter NBC says that uh, yeah. uh this is but this it's a, is bad. It's also important. Look, I understand that many of you who are listening to this, are involved in the industry, are involved in activism of some kind, and so like you're into this. But the vast majority of people who are just consuming news, they just need uh, like a little piece, a little something yep. to, to contextualize why they should either care or not care, mm-hmm. right? So diminishing the story in any any way. Or, or providing some contextual analysis like only crazy people care about this, right? Gives you enough to be like, okay, I'm moving on. Yeah, mm-hmm. the average voter I'm not talking about people like most of you who are listening to this who are like super you know plugged, plugged in. into it. I'm talking about the average person they're like, look, I'm not gonna read a 35 tweet string, I'm not gonna go do my own homework on this. I expect like the New York Times, to give it a write-up. But
1: instead of writing a story about what was released, they wrote a story about the reaction that Republicans had to the release.
3: Exactly. It's the pounce-and-sees narrative. yep. Right? It's the pounce-and-sees narrative. And if your pouncers and your Caesars are the people that you think lack some credibility in some ways, which they strategically cherry-pick out to make sure that they do, then nothing to see here. Right.
0: This is great. So this is a screenshot that McDaniel found from CNN's uh, Twitter account. This is a quote. It says... To me, this is just classic textbook Soviet-Russian tradecraft at work. Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper says, as authorities are investigating if recently published emails are tied to a Russian disinformation effort targeting Biden. And here's the thing is there's zero accountability. James Clapper right now should be treated like an individual who, who lied intentionally To try to affect the outcome of
3: an election. He tampered with an election. That's what he did. He tampered with an election, as did all of the intel agents and affiliated people who were on that letter that Politico dutifully wrote up, Mm -hmm. saying it had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. There's no accountability. What those people did, and, and, and listen, we went through four years of talking about efforts to undermine an election. Of, remember, we, we were talking about whether 150 grand of Russian Facebook ads had a material impact on whether or not Donald Trump was a legitimately elected president. Right. Right. Here you have dozens of United States of America, former intel officials on a letter without any substantiation whatsoever, claiming that you shouldn't look at it because what it is, is Soviet Russian tradecraft. But the
2: responsibility does not stop with Clapper and everybody who signed that letter. The responsibility extends to CNN. This was a CNN tweet. That's right. CNN, you want to talk about doing PR for a powerful individual. Mm -hmm. CNN is doing PR for the Biden campaign with this tweet. It is 100% that nothing... It, the Biden campaign press secretary could have tweeted the exact same thing. And CNN, in their own voice, is making it sound like this is the legitimate take on this story. It's a discredited but I,
3: story. But I, so I've watched this from the inside, and I did it at CNN in 2016 when I was in green rooms with these people. And, you know, I'd come out of a, a job as, as chief of staff to McConnell where— you could talk about things if it ventured into the area of intel or defense. It was almost like a talking point by omission, and I never liked to do that. I always thought that was ridiculous, but you could, you right. could convey to the viewer and more, listener more
2: serious that politics. there
3: was something you didn't understand about what I'm saying, and I can't get into it because it's classified. You don't even need to say it. You can just do it. And I watched as Clapper and these people... Began to do this in 2016, where they would basically represent to themselves to to their viewers that what they were talking about was something that all of them understood. Right, that they all clearly had come to the conclusion for years, if not decades, was a big problem. But they can't themselves talk about it right. because they, by penalty of of felony, couldn't give you a little lift under the hood and actually say that. Why this was fact it, or it, not, and it was by omission, right, that they were able to convey it, and it became
1: so pervasive. I don't know if you remember this, but during the Trump administration, they actually tried to pull the clearances of some of these people, yes, and there was an uproar. Yeah, you know, it's going to make America unsafe, and it's like, no, we just don't want James Clapper on CNN winking and nodding and pretending mm-hmm. like he's seen something that says this is Russian disinformation. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, yeah, we should have pulled their 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 classif- but, classification but, a long time ago. But
2: you know what, CNN should have written this. Tweet tweet that james clapper and a handful of other officials claim that hunter biden did not write these emails the russians did
0: and that we have no that's the way evidence to substantiate it. that claim right because that's the because thing it's is, by omission be, it's yep, by exactly. this is what
3: i'm talking about if that's you look exactly at the it. way that that is framed it's classic textbook soviet russian tradecraft at work so whose textbook Whose textbook are we talking about? Why is it classic? Can't tell you. Can't tell you. Can't tell you that. That's the stuff that's reserved for us who have classified clearances. We're just telling you because we're the ones you should trust here. Brennan, Clapper, the rest of these lying
2: fuckers. In an effort to help the Biden campaign, a group of retired officials claim that the Russians are behind right. Hunter Biden's laptop. Which
3: is which is what it is if you're actually practicing the truth. Right. The problem is, in that era in particular, if you ever had or currently possessed any kind of classified clearances, you were able to get away with that. Yeah. And that is how the Russia Gate thing persisted for four years. Mm-hmm. It's why you got to the end of the Mueller report and were like, really? That's it? Like this what about all the what about it's, all the adam schiff smoking gun nonsense right. it's, what, I, it was all there they all told us they're smoking guns but we just can't tell you it'll be in the report right it, wasn't in the
2: report it, it has done unbelievable damage to the credibility of the intelligence community in yep. this country mm-hmm.
0: and there's and that's the other thing is there's zero accountability like james clapper was not asked by any news agency on friday his thoughts When he put this information out, he's not being held to account for it. CNN is not being held to account for this. The reaction from journalists was absolutely shameful.
1: Yeah, where are those disinformation reporters like Ben Collins who spent their whole night attacking Elon Musk? I thought their beat is disinformation. There was no
0: self-reflection among (laughs) these people. There was none of that. They were all shown to be liars and they were wrong and there's no self-reflection, there's no apology, there's no admission. They instantly go right back to being like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? Elon Musk is rich.
3: But if, if, if you take a step back and you look at this whole thing, why is it that there's any reporter attacking someone for providing contextualized information about a very significant decision that was made at a significant point in time. You should just react to it. You should just react to that. And if anyone for
0: journalists whose whole job is supposed to be the pursuit of truth to be attacking, wait a minute, why is this guy releasing information? It's insanity. But it's not about truth, it's about
3: ideology. Because the only thing we know is that what the Biden campaign and these intelligence officials and everybody said at the time was wrong. That's the only thing we know. Right. Everything else is new information. If you're a news guy, that's pretty exciting. It's At least it should
2: be. It's interesting.
3: Right? But it's not for these guys. And now you get a greater glimpse, again, back to why this is the absolute most patriotic thing anybody has done in a long time, because you're getting a glimpse into how information flow has worked in this country for a long period of time. Right. I mean, it's this is serious shit. Right. It is. It has grave consequences. It also means that the rest of us need to be invested in this, whether you're on Twitter, you give a shit about it or not, because what happens here, what Elon unmasks or doesn't unmask and how it is treated in the outside world will have grave consequences in how information is actually funneled to Americans for generations, if not forever. That's
0: it. That's it right there.
3: It really will. Um, All right. So let's wrap that. Masty works. Let's do it. Listen, Masterworks has been a good partner for a long time. Uh, we like them a lot, and they're doing some really interesting stuff. We got into this, you know, during the course of the beginning of a recession, and we're looking for sort of interesting new ways to invest money to the extent that you have some. But but it turns out now they have more than four five hundred and eighty thousand users. Wow, yeah.
0: and 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 over six hundred and fifty million dollars invested.
3: Yeah, I mean we've talked about all of these things and they have SEC qualified offerings and you can find all their filings at sec.gov. I mean we we want everybody to do their research on this stuff. But Masterworks has, to date, eight sales of the paintings. And if you remember, what this is is it commoditizes fine art. Mm -hmm. You buy, they buy, pieces of irreplaceable fine art that only like billionaires can afford. Then they commoditize it, they they break it down and give people like a fractional. fractions yeah. to invest in.
0: That's the thing is like I can't go buy a Banksy, but like Masterworks can make it so that they'll chop the price of a Banksy into like a thousand pieces and people can get a piece of that and then when Masterworks turns around and sells it, everyone gets a piece of the profit.
3: So they've sold five in twenty twenty two.
0: This year alone five.
3: Five. And the most recent painting in early November was sold at a seventeen point eight Percent net return nice. to investors,
0: that's right? Definitely beating the S and P. I don't. Yeah, have you looked at
3: looked at no? Uh, I don't. can I can't K open. It, like, I, can't yeah. <laughs> open it. I can't open it. So anyway, I think this is something that's interesting that you guys should all take a look at. If nothing else, it's kind of interesting every once in a while to look at fine art and sort of like what's being accumulated, what they think is interesting. You ought to go on there uh, if you go to masterworks.com and use promo code ruthless. That's promo code ruthless at masterworks.com you can join and be put at the front of the line there mm-hmm. sounds like they've got a pretty significant line at this point you got to get involved if you can
1: and see important regulation a disclosures at masterworks.com slash cd there you go gotta yep. do the legal stuff gotta you
3: do gotta it. do the legal stuff very very important uh so there's been a lot of stuff we watched soccer smog you missed all this last week and we i didn't about watch it. soccer either you didn't do it <laughs> Hell no. Not at all.
0: Hell, I watched football on Sunday. That's
3: it. <laughs> That's, it. <laughs> That's it. No sock, no footy? Not a minute. None of it. So <laughs> watching soccer, dude. Well, Duncan got <laughs> us into it, you know, because he's a soccer guy. And he tried to teach us a little bit about it. He probably regrets it at some level. Do you regret it at some level?
1: Uh, No, I'm a glutton for punishment. We had a good like, time. Yeah, we had a great time. And I knew I was going to get it in the group chat, like, as soon as u.s lost to the netherlands i knew i was going to get it in the group chat but But we can all
3: go back to watching real sports and stuff like that yeah
1: yeah yeah but that's the price of admission i mean i'm obviously very disappointed you know the united states united states just didn't play well you know and i felt like to let a goal in in like the 10th minute because you weren't racing back to mark at the top of the box is like yeah, i don't know how does that speaking happen in the greek World Cup?
3: to me pal you're speaking greek but yeah. i get it i understand you're disappointed i was disappointed i had a great time watching it though well i'll tell you one of the one of the best times i've had in a long time was sit at the bar watching iran yeah. in the united states and then like, that was good news that and, was good news. and you well you could have like sort of thinly veiled critiques as iran and everything else which you know i mean yeah, what's not to love about that uh, it allowed you to do some solo money posting, yeah, which was good.
1: I really and they'll never take that away from us.
3: Yeah. So, so that that we have, but there has been a little bit of controversy because, of course, this whole thing is held in Qatar. Yes. Qatar or Qatar? Qatar. Well, I mean, like, do we call Qatar or Qatar? I don't know. What do you I'm ro- think? I'm rolling the
0: dice. I say Qatar.
3: You go get Qatar. Qatar.
1: I feel like that's the classic way. Then then it's sort of like everyone had to make the switch to Qatar a couple years ago, yeah. I think. Well,
3: they're socially pretty conservative there,
0: right?
1: Yes.
3: Uh, and they've got like the sort of Islamic rules about whatever. Mm-hmm. So do
0: they allow people to drink beer or not? No. Oh, my God. Not like the
1: regular fans. I think if you were in a box, you could.
0: Imagine that, dude. All these soccer hooligans being sober. That's got to be rough.
1: It's got to be real rough, right? They probably made the, you know. Stadium more safe though. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> seen some of these soccer hooligans in
0: like England. That's but a, they that, get that's, wild. To me, that's the only upside of soccer is like in Europe. Basically, they just get
2: drunk and fight each
0: other. Well, yeah. they
2: don't in England. You can't drink in the stands. Did you guys know this? No, really. You, you cannot drink in the stands. You have to go during the halftime. You go underneath the bleachers and then you grab a Carlsberg, which I think the slogan is probably the best beer in the world. Some, <laughs> some, it's kind of it's a very funny slogan, <laughs> but you go under. Uh, you you stand in line you get a beer you have to throw it away before you go back to your are seat are you serious no I way. think they've learned from experience Yeah, you get that too much a, drunk, a drunk soccer fan is a fighting soccer fan too, well too also much I mean that's
0: just tyranny like thank god George Washington kicked these people out of here yeah,
3: yeah. well I can understand now not just the, how the uh, sort of conservative cultural customs with the lack of alcohol would hurt porn stars <clears throat> uh, <laughs> which this, is apparently what the Daily da- Star okay. what the Daily Star is talked about here adult star Astrid wet jeez really
0: with two tees, There are there are families
3: listening With to With two T's. Uh, is a massive Chelsea in England fan uh, and has been out to Qatar for the World Cup supporting uh, the latter, which, uh, uh, while taking in other, other games, uh, she's been warned about her outfit choice. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, apparently, this gal, uh, the top Brit-only fan star, Astrid Wet. Uh, has been warned to cover up after posting skimpy photos of herself at the World Cup games after the very conservative Muslim country guitar uh, warned her as such. Um, what do we think about that? This
0: is this, this is wild. So I think, okay, so she's clearly integrating this in the business model because it says that <laughs> she's been at several key games, right, uh, trying to be seen in the stands. I agree. Good Good work for that country of being like, hey, only one person's getting good PR out of here. <laughs> You're not, you're not turning this into like a business model. This is guitar. We don't play that shit.
3: <laughs> well, it, apparently her attire has, has has risen to the attention of the good people of Qatar, And uh, they've asked her to cover up.
0: Dude, this is amazing. So it says on Twitter, one said that she has no respect for the culture. Several warned of a possible execution. Jeez. Oh, boy. You don't <laughs> oh, want to yeah. get out of there. You should probably like value your life over OnlyFans, I think. Yeah.
1: Imagine <laughs> imagine getting executed for clout. That is like, like we, 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 <laughs> we live in the most just degenerate times. Like,
3: holy shit. So I'm looking at the pics. Do you guys see the pics? Of course not. There's a family program. No, no. Click on the pics. You're going to want to see this. Uh, she's basically got like a bikini top. In ans- the game? And some Daisy Dukes on. So it's not like she's wearing nothing. But then it looks like she goes back to her hotel and does a little extra for you. Okay. Right?
0: I mean, it's pretty, it's it's very clear. Uh, this is like, uh, there was that one gal who at the World Series, I think she flashed the whole, like she oh, yeah. paid to have seats. She was right behind home plate. Home plate. And yeah. I, I think she was an OnlyFans model. And like, you know, of course, after that. All the news on Twitter is, like, someone just flashed the World Series, and she was out there being like, hey, here's the link to my website.
2: A big hit for her, I'm it's sure. It's
0: like, well, come on, yeah. man. This is about sports.
2: Let me tell you this. If you live in Qatar and you're offended by this, do not go to a Philadelphia Eagles game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think anyone should go to Philadelphia in general. <laughs> I mean,
3: well, whatever this is, it doesn't look terrible to me, but I can kind of, I mean, look, do you really want to provoke the situation if you're in Qatar?
0: This is this is 100% one of those F around find out situations. I kind of feels like, like it to we're me. We're one week away from the story of being like, Top OnlyFans model from England executed bone saw <laughs> like bone saw That's that's, that's coming
3: next. Yeah, no, no. All right, well, you just keep your head on a swivel if you're over there. Um, but the other piece of this that came out of uh, the news of soccer, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on why this makes sense, Duncan. Okay. So uh, it turns out that U.S. Women's Soccer Team will pocket at least six point five million from the men's team reaching the World Cup knockout rounds. More than they receive for winning two successive uh, World Cups.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the men's teams, like, they're like divorced dads paying alimony now. <laughs>
3: I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, no. so, just for the backstory, and this is according to CNN as a result of the equal pay agreement forged earlier this year between the United States Soccer Federation and the United States Women's National Team Players Association and the United States National Soccer Team Players Association, the men and women's teams split all World Cup's earnings under the landmark agreement. U.S. soccer became the first federation in the world to legalize FIFA World Cup prize money awarded to teams for participating in the World Cup. So basically, uh, if I recall this story correctly, the second time that the women won the World Cup, they were uh, upset, shall we say, yeah, about the fact that they were not receiving the same amount of money men did for a comparable feat. And so, at the time, you remember there was a bunch of woke women on that. What was that woman? One woman's name. The, is, the one involved with the blonde hair. Yeah, Yeah, Rapp- Rappino. Rappino, Rappino. Yeah. Rappino. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they apparently began an agreement with the men's side of things, where no matter what happens, they split it all.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like this is actually probably like long term a good deal for the men's team. Wow, really? In that, I mean, the women's team is better. It's just better, like in the world.
3: Yeah, but when they win, that doesn't matter,
0: dude. Russell Wilson's terrible, and he's making a quarter billion dollars.
3: (laughs) 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 No, no, but but but, uh, but isn't the whole point? Wasn't their point that we could win everything and not get paid anything?
0: I mean, the thing is, is is, uh,
3: what if this is what if uh, granted soccer, so it's a little different. And like we as Americans don't really care about it. But like, what if the LA Galaxy and the LA Lakers came up with the same deal? Does that sound like a fair deal?
0: This is this is all ridiculous. It's like there's a reason that I I guess not. There's a reason the quarterback makes more than the kicker. Some people are better at their job. Some people sell more jerseys. Some people are more profitable. So it's like if the men's soccer program is bringing in more money, uh, the answer isn't, okay, give us your money. The answer is like, we should probably make more money. Like, let's figure out a way to make more money. Like, the answer is never, okay, well, uh, I demand to be given a share (laughs) of what you've got. Like, it makes zero sense. Like, why is every player in the NFL not paid an equal amount? It's because it's very obvious that some people contribute more, some people are bigger draws. And that's what, like, the fundamental argument here is, well, why aren't they being paid as much? Well, why are they not selling as many tickets? Right. You
1: know? And the Men's World Cup will draw in, like, it'll be, like, the largest sporting event in the world. Right. The Women's World, world Cup just doesn't generate as much revenue. I think right. I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's the reality. It's not like
0: the entire world is sexist and and, and horrible people. Maybe it's just, this, like... You can never blame everyone else is wrong and I'm right. You know? But I like, think
3: that this is interesting because we're entering and we're now in a world of like nil in in the NCAA, right? The name, yeah. image, and likeness yeah. piece where sponsors are able to support athletes and college athletics for their name, image, and likeness, and they're able to do ads and be rewarded as such, right? right. So no question, if you look at like the top college football quarterbacks, they're basically millionaires yeah at this point. If you were to take what the. US soccer has done, you would say that they, their counterpart on like you know the soccer team or the volleyball team or whatever needs to share with the college football player despite the fact there's like 75,000 fans in the seats and like 10 million people watching, mm-hmm. they now need to share revenues because of a gender equity situation. Does that seem right?
1: No, it It probably doesn't seem right. But I mean, like devil's advocate is like women's soccer, men's soccer in the United States both need a lot more money. Like we are at such a huge disadvantage. Number one, typically our best athletes play basketball or football or hockey or, you know. um, And so, you know, we're already putting ourselves at a disadvantage. Number one. Number two, if you're nine years old and you're really great at soccer in England, like you're in Manchester United's youth program and they spend millions and millions of dollars developing you into talent like here in the united states we have like olympic development program and kids play high school they play travel and stuff but it's just like not the same it's not a serious investment you know well it's
3: certainly not a serious investment if you find out that if you reach the pinnacle you have to rev share yeah (laughs) yeah right i mean isn't that the whole point of a market-based economy right i'd be shocked if a european team or a, a south american team did something like this right right yeah, no. It's no, a there you deal. go. Yet another reason. Okay. Yet another reason. Well, I thank you for bringing all of the soccer thing to our world over the last week and a half. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to go back to just watching real sports for the next four years. And you know, if they show up again, terrific. Okay. And actually, you know what? I'll root on the women's soccer team because maybe these guys can get paid. Yeah. Right?
0: You know. You know they're not getting a cut. You know they're not going to get a cut. I mean, it goes back to the the story right before of that gal on OnlyFans. You think OnlyFans models are kicking half their cash to dudes on there trying to make a dollar? Hell no. <laughs> wow.
3: That's the best takeaway. It's the it's, it's the prejudice of the sex industry that's really got us worked up here on the Ruthless Variety program. But now we're forging ahead and and, and maybe we can advocate for some kind of a revenue sharing going forward. Um, All right. Did you guys see this Biden state dinner situation?
0: Yes, it was. It was horrific.
3: So he had a state dinner with a bunch of people. And and it's been a, a headline. Why? I don't know. But it's been a headline for like a week and a half in DC about how Nancy Pelosi eats a hot dog every day.
1: They're trying to make it happen, like trying to make it a cool thing. I I'm Like mean, why is it fucking why why, why was do we this, care? Why and also why was this a secret? It's like the only thing that makes her normal, like enjoying a hot dog. Well,
0: I, 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 that's the whole purpose of it, is they're like, okay, well everyone knows she lives in like the most exclusive neighborhood in San Francisco and she crushes the stock market year <laughs> after year. Crushing the S&P, crushing every hedge fund out on the street. But you know what? She's just like us because she eats our dog.
1: But, but just like, it's weird to me that she could be in Washington for what, like 40 years? And like, she goes, she, <laughs> she she she's done being speaker and now they've decided she
2: needs to develop a personality? The problem is, Michael, they haven't written enough feature stories. <laughs> that's
3: it. No, that's I know. Not enough ink has been spilled. Yeah. But, but so I was interested in a couple of pieces. One, apparently bartenders at this event ran out of glassware which which basically meant in it, the invitees didn't have access to uh cocktails.
0: Oh, no more champagne for, a, well, peri- a, for a period of
3: time. Which can you imagine anything worse than being locked in a room with Nancy Pelosi oh my God.
2: and a bunch and, of frenchies?
3: It with french and Joe Biden and I who knows maybe Hunter was in there which you know it, Granity oh, he Yeah, he had a glass.
0: It says Terry McAuliffe was there. Like, this is just like a, a room of all the horrible people, and they're out of booze. Like, it's a Twilight Zone episode.
3: Yeah. T- well, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough were there. Oh, God. I mean, uh, it's it's incredible. So, but, but this is how it goes into the hot dog thing. As Mr. McCrone and his wife, Brigitte, mm-hmm. indulged in a selection of American delicacies Alexandra Pelosi, the daughter of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, asked Mr. Biden, a man with uncomplicated tastes, Brother. what foods his country was best known for. He said hot dogs, ice cream, and spaghetti, according to the younger Miss <laughs> Pelosi, who was seated next to Mr. Macron. The, then her mother chimed in, telling a somewhat puzzled French president that she eats a hot dog every day in the cloakroom. <laughs>
0: I mean, these, we, we are ruled by, by p- 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 idiots. Like this is absolutely pathetic, and and, and we're
3: just, supposed to. I think, I think all of that is put together. I think we're supposed to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that.
2: The, <laughs> guys, can I can I just please stop you right here? This is a New York Times story, Jeez. just for the listeners to understand. And the clause that caught my attention was this: Mister Biden, comma a man with uncomplicated tastes, comma what that is saying is not to be outdone. Joe Biden, not to be outdone by Nancy Pelosi, who are about to tell you eats hot dogs every single day. Joe Biden would eat hot dogs, too. They're just like by, us. By the way, he drives a Corvette. He wears aviator sunglasses. Just a regular guy. He's just like us. He's and, from Scranton.
0: And, and this, is, this is what I always tell everyone to read that book, What It Takes, because you actually get the true Joe Biden story of how he like ditched his family to go live with, like, a multimillionaire uncle. That sounds like some uncomplicated taste to me. It's un- it's incredible, but the line to me of all the lines that made me want to puke is this one. It says, the night closed with a scene that would have been hard for anyone in Washington to fathom just two years ago. Mr. Colbert dancing with the White House press secretary. Like, this is oh the God. most out-of-control swampy garbage of, like, oh, Stephen Colbert is dancing with Wait, the press secretary. Wait, why is secretary. that hard to
3: fathom at all? It's.
2: It, 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 like,
3: what? That. that, that it, it, in the fiction. top 10 things that they could happen, I put that right up in the top.
2: This story is fiction.
0: Basically, they're saying drew that, drew like, fiction. W- when, when it's not a Republican in the White House, life's a fairy tale. Right. Like, everyone, you're dealing with record high inflation, but you know what? Uh, Nancy Pelosi eats a hot dog and Stephen Colbert dances with the press secretary. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it is. That's what they're trying to do, is, is they want more West Wing fanfic absolute garbage
3: oh man it's just so it's so hard to process what about you oh oh anyway okay
0: well this is a great follow-up right right afterwards in real america white christmas trees could cost more this year it's like right after they're like oh yes they were out of champagne with stephen colbert dancing with the press secretary uh, <laughs> meanwhile, actual Americans, your problems, not only are you worried about if you can get your kids something on the Christmas tree, can you get the Christmas tree?
3: It, you know what I like more than more than the article itself? Because, of course, it costs more because everything costs more under mm-hmm. these jerks. Um, There is a an an executive director of a national Christmas tree association. I love that. I think it's (laughs) the most
1: important association in the country.
3: I want at some point we we got to get him on the show. At at some point we need to make a movie about this because we've we've talked and we've laughed a lot about this about how there's an association for everything in Washington DC. Think about what's going on for Tim O'Connor who's the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association this time of year. Yeah. You got to really get this. is you gotta, It's like tax season for accountants. You got a lot of dial spinning. You got you to gotta get in there. Well, imagine his year. He's like,
0: every day he's in the office with an ugly sweater. He's having hot cocoa <laughs> with a couple marshmallows, just singularly focused on the Christmas
1: Dude, tree. Dude, I bet Tim O'Connor's... Like Christmas party is a banger, yeah, all you know, time.
2: You want that invite? But based on these prices, the guy is fielding hate calls yeah. all day long. Have you guys? Did you guys get a Christmas tree? Did you see how much how much they cost? Yeah, this they're year? expensive as
0: hell. They're
3: dude. Are very expensive. There's no question. Well, he, this guy, Tim O'Connor, hopefully, <gasps> provides all the information that you would need for something like this. The typical price of a cut evergreen was about $70 last year, the association said, based on an online survey in January of about 2,000 adults. Uh, now we've got a 10% increase, which is the association's best apps estimate, uh, closer to 80 bucks. That's
2: a lie. 80
3: bucks it for is the not, tree. It,
2: it is not. I don't know where they're getting 10%. It is double.
0: It's expensive.
2: It's You're expensive. talking about over 100
3: bucks for a Christmas tree.
2: Easy. Easy. Yeah. I feel like you might just got you might have to be like Clark
1: Griswold and just go out there to <laughs> yes. the forest and chop one down. You just saw that sucker down. <laughs> I actually think that's a crime, so don't do that. But. <laughs> well, it depends on where you saw it. I guess, right? probably. It's got to be your
3: land.
0: I, I, I yeah. bet yeah. this dude from the association is super against that movie. He's like, that's piracy. You can't
3: yeah. the issue. <laughs> can if, if anybody knows Tim O'Connor, at the, the executive director at the National Christmas Tree Association, please put him in touch with the Ruthless Variety Program because I need to know everything. I want to know the policy positions. I want to know what a typical day in March looks like for for Mr. <laughs> O'Connor. Like, I want to know. Like, there's a full association dedicated to this craft, this yeah. trade craft. Like, I want to know who well, the look, member associations are. It, it takes
2: to- it takes a long time to grow things. I'm sure. I'm sure he's busy year round. <laughs> yeah. The, his yeah. his his estimations are terrible. You can't get Charlie Brown's Christmas tree for eighty bucks. A You're year. taking really? a shot
3: at O'Connor. Why? I think
2: he's wrong. Okay. I oh. think he's. I think he's trying to trying to put a gloss on a I mean, difficult big, situation. Big
0: tree's trying to explain away. Big they're lining their pockets. <laughs> big tree.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, I oh. and my, I have to confess, I have a fake tree. So
0: same,
3: of course. Same. I do too, dude. I got it years what? ago. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I do too. I'm, not trying to keep I'm that the thing only person. Water. person here with a live. Christmas I did tree? it. I did it for years, but we moved into our new house, and the first year we got we got a, a real tree, and I wanted to get it like a big, awesome tree. And I like you, Smug, enjoy like a two month tree. Yeah, right. I don't want it That's there how for I like save two money. weeks. Yeah,
1: long Christmas.
3: I want a yeah. long Christmas. And what happened with two months of this tree in my house? And it was well watered. I made. Mean, when I took it down, it was like an explosion. It pr- it took me until you like April that thing and it's over. to get the needle. Fire out. hazard. I mean, it was a disaster. The thing basically exploded. Now I get, I get, I, I understand. that my wife and I were actually talking about how we need to get a real tree somewhere, even if we put it in one room, just so the kids have the experience of going out and picking out a tree. But like, ah, man, it is a pain in the ass these days. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It's not
2: easy, but it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, they real, smell great. I'll real give you tree, that. Real trees smell amazing. Real trees is the way to go.
3: Yeah. So you're a real tree guy, no no exceptions.
2: None whatsoever. Have I, you de-
3: did you decorate your tree over the weekend? Yeah.
2: yeah well, we did it uh, Thanksgiving weekend, sort of yeah. a family tradition. Yeah. And yeah. it does last more than two weeks if you water it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And if you take it. Like oh, he's questioning your water. No, I like abilities. two. I said two months. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. disagree with the two yeah. weeks. Okay. Yeah.
0: I, I, I get mine around uh, Halloween. Nice and plastic with the fake snow on there. It looks fantastic.
3: Put that sucker up, right? (laughs) All right, so we'll close with this. It is election day in Georgia. And you recall that Herschel Walker has the opportunity to draw the Senate even to a 50-50 split or uh, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democratic senator, has the opportunity to put 51 votes in the Democratic column and thereby almost ensuring the confirmation of all of the radicals that the Biden administration can confirm.
0: And that's that's the thing. 51 gives them just like, they can just start steamrolling judges.
3: Totally. And look, this has been different than 2020 in that runoff because in that runoff, it, it quite literally had control of the chamber. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing but national concentration of discussion about what was happening in Georgia. This has been somewhat sleepier. Mm -hmm. Um, But the stakes are no less significant, as we just explained. And now you've got Democrats. They've poured money hand over fist. Warnock is hand over fist. They had Biden up campaigning in Massachusetts to try to raise money for Raphael Warnock. I mean, just all kinds of stuff happening here. And it's coming down to the wire. I think if you look at the polling averages, it looks like Warnock has a slight advantage as he did going into the initial election in November. You'll recall just by way of everybody getting on the same page why we're having this. Georgia, like many southern states, requires a 50 percent threshold on election day for their candidates. If you come up short, they take the top two and they move to a, a, another runoff election. That's and why and we're, might
0: I add that the Libertarian candidate siphoned away enough votes to keep Herschel from cracking 50% and winning outright.
3: And I don't know how many times we need to tell them we're not going to look at their internet history before they become Republicans, but that's just basically the, the, what's happening with Libertarians in Georgia. They're just all over it.
1: Yeah, but today is election day. If you're in Georgia, get out and vote. Get your friends, get your family.
3: You got to get out and vote. You got to do what you can. I've been very, very disappointed in a number of Republican entities, former president of the United States, there have been committees, there have been other senators. People have tried to use the impact that this would have to raise money for themselves and not give money back to the effort. Yeah, And we've talked about it a lot in those 99 to one splits that you're seeing. You saw Trump do another one today where like 99% of it went to his own election account. Um, And that's problematic. It's something culturally that we're going to have to solve far beyond Georgia to get to a point where Republicans can actually try to lift all boats rather than trying to campaign off each other's notoriety and take away and thereby lose elections that we should ordinarily win. But that's a point for another day. Point is, you got to vote.
0: Get out there, like like Duncan said, get your family, get your friends, hit the polls, let's get this.
3: We talked about last week how there was a court decision that allowed for early voting to happen in Georgia when it should not have happened and only Democratic counties were prepared to actually do that. What has happened is it's given Democrats a substantial lead in early voting. Mm-hmm. So Republicans are going to have to have, um, what Republicans on the ground have told me there is that they think that they can get a 5 to 8% advantage on Election Day. They're going to need like 13 yeah, in order to win this thing. Now, it's not improbable, it's not impossible that you have a different composition of an elect- election day electorate mm-hmm. than you had a month ago in November when it was all on the line. Um, and so it's still very much possible. But like, if you are somewhere in Georgia right now and you think it's not your obligation to go vote, like the rest of the country, you're letting them down.
0: And all those libertarians, now's the time. Do the right thing.
3: Do the right thing. But I don't understand, like, you know, this happened in a lot of places in November. I don't understand if you're in rural America and you are a a culturally conservative, socially conservative, economically conservative individual, and you're watching what's happening to your country, how is it that you can have a 54% turnout in your community? How is that possible? Yep. Right? Don't bitch, don't bitch. I don't wanna hear a single thing about how somebody's concerned about what's happening to their country. If you haven't gotten every single one of your neighbors out to vote, you have nothing. Get them out there. Nothing to bitch about. Like you, you're part of the problem, right? Yeah. And if you look at like North Georgia, God bless you. You're conservative as the day is long. Vote. Get vote, out there. Vote. Vote. It is your obligation. You have to. I don't care what people say about your vote not counting or whatever. It counts. It counts. It makes a big difference. We saw it happen in November. It's going to happen again today. So you got to get out and make it count.
0: There it is. There it is. Uh, and you know what we should get to now is I have an interview with Mike Solana. Let's get right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, I would love to welcome to the show, friend of the program, Mike Solana. Thanks for being here, Mike. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, so, you know, longtime listeners and, and followers on Twitter May have seen me very frequently refer to Mike, uh, specifically (laughs) like his writing on Pirate Wires. I think I've even tweeted that you're my favorite living author um, (laughs) right now. So I guess kind of give us a little bit of background on what you do because you also work at Founders Fund. You also have started uh, this media company, Pirate Wires. Tell us a little about uh, like what your average day looks like. How many hats are you wearing?
4: Yeah, for sure. First of all, again, thank you so much for having me on. I love the Ruthless podcast. Huge fan. You, Smug, I mean, you've been a big part of my sort of media journey, honestly. So I'm I'm a huge, not only am I a fan of your content, but I am (laughs) grateful to you. I feel like you were one of the people who early on helped me cross over from tech spaces into sort of like political spaces as well. And so, uh, and that's what I write about. I write about uh, technology, politics, culture. Kind of, I'm really interested at the intersection of those things and cover a lot of the stories almost like a beat reporter at times, but I'm definitely like very much an opinion person. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at Founders Fund. Founders Fund's a venture capital firm. So our job is to put money into startups. And if they grow, we make money. And if they die, we lose money. And that's kind of roughly how it works. Uh, my job over there is. Uh, I'm a brand guy, so I am responsible for sort of putting our story out into the world. We tell a kind of story about the future, and and, uh, and and my job is to attract talented young entrepreneurs to us to make them want to take our money, basically, so we can then invest in their companies and kind of be a part of that, of that entire thing. But sometime over the last maybe like five years, I started – I mean, I've always been a writer, but I started just um, maybe more seriously – really just kind of i guess saying what i thought online i think it was mm-hmm. like you know 2016 2017 especially i just i couldn't say nothing anymore and then by the time 2020 came it was like that summer when rioting was legalized yeah. um i was like okay i need to i like i have to start talking about all this stuff in a more serious way because i have a lot of opinions and and tech culture at that time in like 2017 was very 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 i would say uh, uh i can't pronounce it right now early, brilliantly sort of yeah. left wing, uh, extremely woke. I would say it, it kind of like preceded a lot of the national cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then it's, it's, I mean, I would say things have really softened and changed over the last few years. And and I like to think that I, I've been a, a small part of that um, just writing in and what I think is a, is a hopefully more nuanced way. I'm not trying to be super, super, um, I don't know, like, a political sort of, yeah. I don't want to I, be I, obviously political, but I, I'm I'm trying to just be honest about what's happening and sort of sort of pull the curtain back and be like, okay, guys, this is what what's happening, and like, here's maybe what we should we should actually be doing.
0: I think that's part of what makes like your writing specifically so fascinating, is because you know the majority of the media that we consume these days is so clearly like partisan, like you know exactly what kind of talking points are going to be there but yours is a lot more observational and trying to connect the dots in almost like an analytical way. That's
4: that's what I I just find it fascinating. Like I find the way that people talk about these stories really interesting. And I think that they're revealing. And so I love to kind of, look at an argument and be like, okay, here's what they're saying, but here's what they actually mean. Like, here's the argument that's being used. Here's the weapon that's been Mm -hmm. deployed for whatever political nefarious, whatever purpose, like here's the actual intention. Here's the actual motive. Like what are the invisible underpinnings of all of this stuff? And that's what I really get into at Pirate Wires, which is my media company. And that's the main, you were talking about my day-to-day, like Founders Fund. I've really, I love Founders Fund, hugely formative experience. I mean, Peter Thiel is my mentor, would have nothing without... His um, sort of, I guess, just mentorship and guidance throughout the more formative parts of my career. But now, mostly, what I'm doing, I, I'm still at Founders Fund, but, but, uh, but the majority of my time is spent on Pirate Wires. That's my media company, and it's like, yeah, I talk about this stuff. It's like the way that we tell stories. I cover tech, I, co- I cover politics, and and really the way that these platforms and these technologies are are shaping culture and politics. And I try and do it in a way that's like, uh, I don't know, just interesting. And and my only compass for that is what's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, every time I read one of your uh, writings, it feels like you've taken a thousand steps back from where everyone is looking at something and you get this like wide lens perspective. Um, so, I mean, I, I if you haven't yet, listener, I highly encourage you uh, visit Pirate Wires. I guarantee you're going to find writing that you enjoy and that has you think differently about it. Um, you brought a PT and our mutual friend, McDaniel, also a, a producer on the show, had a question that I absolutely have to ask you. Uh, was there a Nick Fury, I'd like to talk with you about the Avengers initiative moment? (laughs)
4: Um, actually, yeah, there, uh, there was, so I guess what you're saying there is like, you know, was there a moment when, you know, this like kind of larger than life figure approaches someone who maybe has some skills that he doesn't even understand himself and is like, do you want to do something better for the world? And um, I mean, the, the, absolutely, yes, there, there was. I mean, P- Peter found me in the, my early 20s. I was uh, uh, volunteering for a nonprofit. Of, I, I used to be an editor for Penguin Books back then, um, really an assistant editor. So like the lowest you can possibly be. I mean, I made $30,000 a year. I couldn't even afford new shoes, like legitimately. I was living in New York City at the time. Um and I met Peter just because I was volunteering for the Seasteading Institute, which is a nonprofit that he had put money into. And these guys wanted to build floating cities in the middle of the ocean. They're like, uh, it's like an anarchist thing. Um, and I was very much that back in the day. This was like, we're talking about 15 years ago now, um, 15 years ago now. So uh, we became friends through that. And we had coffee whenever he would be in town, like like once every four months or something, five months. And uh, eventually, he wanted me to work for him, and we kind of went through the process of interviews and things like this. And maybe it didn't quite work out. And I, I never really wanted to be a venture capitalist. I didn't even know what it was, honestly, when I first met him. Um, all I was ever interested in back then was writing, and I just and, and politics and and he was and and, and technology in the abstract. So like, he was involved in a lot of things that I found compelling as a writer and as a person who cared about the world. But like, I didn't want that job. And I didn't want to be an investor. And I I didn't even, I wasn't even sure that Silicon Valley was a place. Um, I thought maybe it was like a metaphor. I I really did not know. Um, Didn't even know if you were to ask me what the technology industry was, I was like vaguely aware. I like knew that technology companies existed, but like that was the extent of it. Um, And so I remember like ultimately like everything kind of summing to this dinner that I had with him. And uh, this was the summer that I think it was the summer. Might in the fall when when um when all of the country, like the major cities in the country, were experiencing the Occupy Wall Street protests. I remember that. Yeah. So it was like that was. I, you might have some young listeners who don't even really remember that. If, if Wait, you were like, in New York at that time when they were in Zuccotti. I was in New York City no when kidding. that was happening. Yeah. So this was uh, it was like the before there was like the woke stuff. I don't even. This was not woke. This was like this was like pretty hardcore. It was like I, I would say like. Like maybe like socialist protests mm-hmm. um, that were gripping the nation, and, uh, and also, well, I would say in, in an the interesting nation. way, it was, it was also
0: kind of like populist because it was aimed mostly
4: yes. at, at the Wall Street. Crowd. At Wall Street, yeah, yeah, it was. So uh, we were at dinner, and um, when this conversation happened, and, and these two young people overheard us. We were talking about briefly. He, he and I were talking about the French Revolution. Came up somehow in the conversation. And these people we were in Boston. so there was a version of this now that was about to take place in Boston and it, it had not yet taken place, but it was coming. And these people leaned over and they're like, "Did you say revolution?" And we were like, "What?" And they me <laughs> like in that town <laughs> It was crazy. They put down literally gave us a flyer. This is like a nice restaurant. These like two young people like were kind of close they they put it, this flyer down on the table and it was like the ninety nine percent must eat the one percent. And I'm sitting there like, I am Literally at a table with a billionaire right now. <laughs> they have no idea who we are. Um, but in that dinner later on, it was like, you know, I said this, I don't want to be a venture capitalist. And and uh, but I do feel like we're sort of on the same team. And he was like, We are. And it's a really, really small team. And I think what he meant by that was just uh maybe a worldview, a basic worldview that we shared and a commitment to um thinking for ourselves. And that's like his, his, his major thing. But, uh, back then I didn't know who I was really. All right. I knew who I was, but I knew who I was, but I didn't know what I could do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he kind of helped me focus my abilities and and put them towards something good, I would say. So, so
0: you brought up something really interesting is, is the origin is of, of, of crossing paths is seasteading, um, which got really popular among, uh, folks in San Francisco, especially because that shows exactly what happens when you've got a very poor government in place making decisions. It seems kind of like the seasteading has evolved into like Miami, where like there's been just this tech diaspora of people who are fed up with an environment in 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 San Francisco where where failure is almost not only accepted, it's encouraged among the government, where uh, you've seen the local police have essentially or the the, the local officials have essentially legalized crime. Uh, folks, you know, don't like stepping out with their family for for fear of like sitting on a needle if you're if you're trying to ride a train. Um, but a large segment of like the tech uh, community seems to have uh, set shop up in Miami. And you're among that.
4: Yeah, I think. I mean, the, so the seasteading evolved directly into something called the charter cities movement. There are all these people trying to build these like de facto free cities around the world. And that's where those people kind of put their energy. I do think there's something related, like in the way that you're saying with with Miami, where people, there's this exit thing. That's the, the similarity where the, the impulse uh, with seasteading is like, everything is so broken that we're just going to leave and start our own thing. Here, it's like, there is, yeah, there's like a nor- the normie version of that it concludes in, a major city in the U.S. that was sort of off the beaten path, becoming um, more high profile. That's certainly what's happened in Miami. I am here now. Um, I'm a huge fan of San Francisco still, not the, the government. I hate the government there. I think it's almost terroristic it, it, in, in some sense, but um, but I love the city and I love the people. Miami, it, it just like for whatever, there are a lot of reasons that I'm here and my life is just taking me here and I'm, I'm happy to be here. And the big difference between Miami and I would say the rest of the country is people in Miami are interested in becoming something bigger and newer and better you know everyone here is okay with growth they're excited about growth with new buildings going up and with new people coming in i don't know how long that's going to last but but for now it's been really refreshing to see people excited about the future
0: and it's incredibly rare to have a major city where a, the significant majority of the population is like violently anti-socialist. Where, <laughs> yes. it, it, it's crazy that now the vast majority of large cities in the U.S., you know, the majority of the voters would probably support socialism. Like you look at yeah, North, it's, San Francisco, it, Los Angeles.
4: It's the South American thing. You have all sorts of refugees from Cuba and South America who are here from socialist countries. And so there is this, even while they vote for, like, this is not, you know, we it was red wave here this last uh election, probably in Miami and Florida and nowhere else, but, or maybe a little bit New York City, I guess New York had some of this, but, um, but separate from that, Miami is still usually like, I would say center slightly left, not, you know, totally left like most cities, but a little bit left, uh but socialism is not allowed that is like a huge that is like i mean the way that people throw around the word nazi is the way that people throw around the word socialist in miami they really hate socialists
0: and and that's kind of an interesting seg so uh speaking of kind of like uh de-social uh uh socialists being removed um what has happened with twitter Recently is kind of breathtaking with with Elon taking charge. Oh yeah, um, and we're now seeing like a you know uh, he's
4: revealed. I mean he stormed how, the Bastille. Yeah, he you know seized the memes of production. It's been <laughs> a revolution in a sense.
0: And also, I think a lot of folks uh, who listen have probably noticed uh, almost daily Elon is tweeting with you. So
4: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, I'd like your thoughts on that situation.
4: Ah, man, I have so many thoughts. I, I will say that maybe the highest level thing is just, I do think this matters. Okay. Like, I really think that this sort of altered the course of history, which sounds crazy and, you know, maybe a little hysterical. Like, who cares what happens at Twitter? I think everybody cares what happens at Twitter because even if you don't care directly about Twitter, you follow somebody who cares about Twitter and who probably lives on Twitter because all of the media personalities are on Twitter and most of the people participating in culture, like creating culture. Are on Twitter. Most of the politicos are on Twitter. All all of our government officials, um, if they're not on Twitter themselves, that their entire staff is on Twitter. That's where like the kind of the, the cultural and intellectual elite spend their time is on Twitter. That's where they're that's where they're battling over ideas, um, and that is where the news begins. It always starts on Twitter, and so uh, whoever, whatever the rules are on that platform, sort of shape the rest of. The structure of our society. Um, it, it really begins there and spreads outward. And for a long time, what we're now discovering. So Elon takes over mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he makes his bid six months ago to, to, to begin that process. And immediately people start on the left, you know, which includes all of the media. And um, and I want to be clear, to, like, I mean the far left at this point. I'm not talking like, I'm not even talking your Obama left, I'm talking your sort of activist left, which yes. includes, again, a lot of people in the media and probably a lot of a lot of staffers uh, in, in Washington and, mm-hmm. and things like this. They start losing their minds. And they were right, because what they perceived was a threat to de facto censorship control that they've had over the platform, you know, for the last uh, many years. But really, since since the, the election of Trump is when I think the the real mainstreaming of the hardcore censorship powers Began and by 2020, COVID. You had a, the 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 combination of COVID and all the Black Lives Matter stuff like that confluence of events just it it, it solidified the rules across the technology landscape. And it's is this like it is this decentralized censorship apparatus that is loosely controlled by everyone who kind of agrees with each other. We're talking people in government, people in Hollywood, people in media, people in tech, um, people in academia who all have the same opinions. So like, there is no one top down saying, we're going to censor, you know, for the entire country, everyone who says the vaccine might've come from, uh, or the virus might've come from a lab, right? Like there's no one, there's no one person saying that. You just have a small class of people who agree with everything and control everything. And they say that. What Elon Musk represents, what they kind of perceived he would represent and what he has come to represent, is I would say not free speech, but a single platform that exists beyond that uh, sort of de facto state censorship apparatus. Uh, I think like 2016
0: thing. was kind of like this traumatic moment um, for a lot of the left and, 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 and uh, Hollywood and the media where they never counted on an environment where uh, someone using Twitter Could defeat the clinton machine where like open dialogue where someone uh can can reach the audience directly you know lightning fast is able to overcome this decades-long political machine and i think after that their conclusion was okay we've got to shut that down we can't have a level playing field we have to say not only that uh we need to have complete control but it's because the other side is dangerous
4: words are violence um, I would say so. Very, not. very smart. I think that's exactly almost exactly right with one. One thing is they did not say we have to shut it down. Their first impulse was that they totally recognized the power of it. You're right that this power completely circumvents, you know, every firewall they have between the people and power. Uh, but what they, their first impulse was not to destroy it; it was to control it, mm-hmm. and it was like, let's see if we can take this power for ourselves, and it it, it worked. They did yes. <laughs> within like a year. They controlled everything, um, and this led directly, you know, up to the last election and under Biden laptop story fiasco and all of that. Um, they did control the flow of information. Basically, right, like with with like a few outliers here and there, they they kind of roughly controlled it. Um, And now, now that that's been pulled away, they they don't have complete control, which means they really don't have control at all. Because all you need is is one place where you can say something else, and and it ruins the whole machine. I think they've kind of fallen back on their on their the sort of other impulse, which is what you just said, which is to destroy it. And that's where we are now: is you you have people rising up everywhere. Their their goal is just to destroy this thing. And, and that'll, we can talk about the advertising boycott they created. We Mm. can talk about the government getting involved. Like, I mean, whatever way you want to take this. So
0: I think, I think advertising is a very interesting uh, uh, approach to seeing their methods that the left uses where they've already captured so many institutions, like, you know, the New York times, the Washington post, the mainstream media, which gives information to people is completely dominated uh, already by the left. Uh, Academia, all the professors completely dominated by the left um, to set up essentially just like indoctrination where, you know, you've got people when they're young and exploring the world for the first time, almost without exception, their professors have one worldview and that's the one that they will espouse and, and profess. Um, and so I think Twitter is a perfect example of where the left has successfully captured of so surprisingly corporations now where, you know, I remember the left in my day growing up is you know, it'd be uh, hippies who, who hate corporations. But now it's almost like the the neoliberal Bernie revolution united. And the neoliberals took the tools of the Bernie activists and said, okay, we will capture yes. corporations and use them as our tool of
4: control. Yeah, this is the power left. It is, you're right. It's very, very different than the populist left, which is what maybe Bernie, I think Bernie has probably become more of the power left as time has gone on. But if you think back to like, Bernie Sanders versus Elizabeth Warren, if you were to follow that conversation online, the Bernie bros were considered highly problematic and anti-woke because they were like, she's stealing from our guy and basically hiding behind the fact that she's one a woman and two Native American. These mm-hmm. things are not, this is crazy. And they went nuts and they used all sorts of what we consider today like anti-woke language. Um, that is populist. Yeah, the populism is just super anti-woke no matter what direction it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And and you're totally right that this is a very different kind of left. This is this is just what it looks like when the left actually has power and they've had power for a long, I would say. I mean, for me, it's been coming most of my life. I feel like the last five Five ten years, it, it's really kind of metastasized, and um, and it's the yeah the the rules are are different. It, it's now at the point where, charge.
0: like, like you'd mentioned, the summer where rioting was legalized, you had without exception, pretty much every major corporation in this country, whether it's Bank of America, uh, donating to what essentially becomes a slush fund for people yep. to
4: buy mansions in California. Um, yeah, this is the the woke stuff too. I mean. We always want to blame tech and be like, tech is so woke and all this. I would say that tech is really overexposed. We have a lot of insight into what's happening in tech in tech companies because everyone in tech is on Twitter talking about it. Like we're all exposing ourselves. We're like super native to the internet. Um, Beyond that, I think that corporate America is a bigger problem. I think that that like you look at Mm -hmm. like I I have. uh, I'm dealing with a lot of lawyers right now as I as I work on I'm work, not I'm not in trouble I'm building a business. Um, it's one so, of the good times to use a lawyer. <laughs> it's a good time, yeah. Things are things are well, but I've got I got a bunch of lawyers. They all have pronouns in in their bio. It's like a very normalized thing. Okay. Like like they've they they are following the marching orders. And these are just regular people. Um, I have friends in the world of nonprofits, right? Like all super super woke. They're going to like woke seminars left and right. I mean it, it, this stuff has been really normalized in every other place. In fact, I would say tech maybe the reason. We talk about it so much is because tech is like the only place where it's still even a little bit pushed back against.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and I think also again in Florida, you're seeing examples where, you know, DeSantis has gained so much popularity because he stood up to Disney, for example, which is yeah. completely unheard of. Yep. And it's amazing that the expectation among the majority of Americans at this point is that. Even our politicians have to take their marching orders from corporations, and 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 they're okay with it. Like the modern left is thinks that's actually the way it should be. So them using, uh, you know, this this stranglehold that they have on corporations to make their first instinct always okay, boycott, cut the funding off from these individuals. Yes, and you know, companies might benefit significantly from advertising on Twitter but they're being pressured as like okay you are now normalizing nazis people are going to die if you advertise um which to me is just incredible but that's, right. so that's, that's a threat for people to be allowed to speak their mind
4: yeah i mean that that's i know a couple of people on the twitter uh the twitter ad team and or the twitter sales team so they mm-hmm. deal with the advertisers and they're like listen this the advertisers have always been very, very kind of woke and sensitive to woke things. And like, this is, this predates Elon, you know, um, they're, they were woker than, than anyone. I mean, then, than Twitter corporate, they were, they were much woker. Twitter was just dealing with that. And I think a lot of the social media companies, as they grew up, all the, lot of the technology platforms, as they grew up, had to learn to deal with these other industries where, yeah, like wokeness had captured the entire managerial class, um, in the case of this boycott it it was like mm. it was clearly an op like you clearly from from the, the ground floor i mean the night that elon took over you had a- very popular activists online pretty much giving marching orders on how uh, on the advertising they were like hey guys looks like hate speech is, has yep. it's blown up on the platform elon you know elon's been in charge for 1 hour and already hate speech has quadrupled he's a nazi he's loving nazi speech he's going to hurt people better target the better tell the advertisers better let the advertisers know yep. and then within 24 hours, 48 hours. You had major stories from like NBC and the Washington Post. This is like the dark triad of Taylor Lorenz, Ben Collins and Brandy, last name I can't pronounce, starts with a Z, like super long name. Those three people, like they they drove a lot of these narratives that led directly to a, a, it was a a fairly successful advertising boycott. What they didn't realize was that it wouldn't really matter because I mean, first of all, I think Twitter has something like I got to go back and check my notes. I, I think it's $6 billion in cash on hand. And then, you know, Elon just dramatically reduced the amount of the cost of operation because he fired and laid off so many people. Um, so that's not going to work. Now they're going to move on to something else. You know, the advertising boycott in the short term is not going to do anything. Long term, for sure, could kill the company. But I mean, long term, we're talking a year plus. Once all Elon needs is a, an advertising product that works, and then people are going to want to use it because if it can communicate the traffic for your site or whatever, like people are not going to care about this stuff.
0: That kind of, uh, you you touched on it, that activist media nexus is really fascinating. The way that you have, essentially they're just left-wing activists. Yes, uh, Who then will self-identify as an an expert on internet uh, hate speech or or, uh, internet safety, uh, even though there's no degree or, or accreditation that you can get to attain such a title and then they will say an opinion that's basically the left-wing talking point use uh, uh uh ben collins uh for example at nbc to launder the opinion put it in writing and then they can get that story pushed out and then put it in front of advertisers and say hey look a major media organization is saying hate speech has exploded that is just it's incredible kind of feedback loop that they've built and almost perfected over the past few years
4: yeah this you see this i mean the the most obvious example now is is this where like these are these these people are looking to quote experts in online hate What are the? i don't know what that is what is an expert in online hate or an expert in online safety like what does that even mean to be safe online and like wow what makes you an expert in that what did you study exactly like you know the, these are just people who talk about these things all the time like in, in this way I'm an expert um, on all of those things because I'm mired in these annoying ass conversations. So like I I know everything about them. I'm fluent in the woke language, even though I hate it. Does that make me an expert in it? Am I woke? Like it doesn't make any sense, Um, but it's not supposed to make sense. It is just information war and these are their tactics like that's all this is ben collins is a vicious state propagandist and this is one of his tactics is to identify people like alejandro whatever her last name I, I forget what i actually forget her name but she's a popular uh trans activist who got james Lindsay to platform and a bunch of others um that's like mainly what she does which you know godspeed i'm not here to have a gender conversation that's what she cares about she's a left-wing gender activist she wants to get james Lindsay to platform Go for it. Like, off you go. But she's not an expert in, in like anything. She's just an activist. Uh, but she's not quoted as an activist. And the reason she's not quoted as an activist is not because Ben Collins is just an idiot, though he is. He is also a propagandist and he, mm-hmm. he knows what she is. If he frames her as an expert, then it has this, you know, aura of credibility. He's the credible guy, you know, making his credible statements online. And we're the the like. Assholes who don't believe in science who are attacking him for it. Um, but it's just not the case. All that's actually happening is we're paying attention, and the average person is not paying attention, and, and that's really what he's hoping for is that most people don't look too closely because once you do, it's very obvious what's happening. We're just, you know, two different people with two different opinions disagreeing.
0: And, and I think that perfectly kind of encapsulates part of what, well, like I said earlier, the perspective that you bring on pirate wires. Um, I quickly want to touch on what does the future look like for Pirate Wires? and 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 again, I, I highly encourage all our listeners check that place out.
4: Thank you. Yes, PirateWires.com. Go and say hello to me. Um, you can subscribe for free I, right now. I mean, it's like I I, I do a, a sort of lay of the landscape once every two weeks at a sort of big two thousand word. Um, read of what's going on in the news and tech politics culture. We've been bringing in new voices. So like we've been publishing stuff every week. Uh, the future of it is I've got a managing editor coming on board. I've got a couple of staff writers coming on board. I'd really love to get a couple of reporters on board and, and just start covering these things that I'm interested in, in a more serious way. So not just, you know, me going after what I see, but having a other people on staff to help me like report out stories. There's all sorts of stuff that I don't have time to cover. So I, I was just invited to Neuralink. Um, this is a computer brand. Yeah, the company. Elon company. Yeah. So I was invited to go and check out the, the most recent updates and everything. I just didn't have the time, you know, I couldn't get over there. So I want someone, I want a team of people who can help me uh, hit all these different stories. And we're going to be covering, I mean, mainly what I'm already interested in. So like weird science stuff, um, including not just like tech industry stuff and uh, more in- industry sort of science adjacent stories, but also like the, the weird shit, like UFO shit and um, everything that has to do with like the ESP research and uh, parapsychology. I'm really interested in all like the wacky stuff, you know, the longevity stuff and the brain interface stuff. And, and I, and I, what I really, I mean, I would love to get a tech reporter who's willing to source stories from tech companies and other companies in America uh, from people who are not, you know, in-house anti-tech activists, which is what is actually sourcing all of the stories Mm -hmm. uh, in the mainstream press, like, you know, at the New York Times, the Washington Post, when anytime you ever read a story about tech and someone's like, you know, like, like people at the company you know, three sources have said to me, X, Y, and Z, those people are the one percent most aggrieved people in the entire industry. They're like extremely woke activists, uh, that just they they hate the company. And and that sort of shapes all of the stories about mm-hmm. tech. So, so I want to to have some real reporters in there fielding uh requests from other people and also, you know, digging around and, and telling the stories that are not being told. Amazing.
0: Um Last three questions. So we always close our interviews with the same question. So Mike Solana, first question, what would be your last meal on earth? Wow. Such a good
4: question. Um, I think it would have to be my mom's lasagna.
0: (laughs) Yeah, mine's pretty good too. Um, Okay. Second question. If you weren't doing what you do now, that includes Pirate Wires, that includes Founders Fund, that includes tech, What would your blue sky, perfect alternate world self be doing with his life?
4: I think I'd be running a tiki bar.
0: (laughs) Great pick. Great pick. Uh, And last, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And to kind of explain this, your thrill of victory person is kind of like, uh, you know, your sunshine warrior, always charging up that hill. Uh, Agony of defeat is kind of like a Michael Jordan type where your lo- you know your loss or your mistake always is a chip on your shoulder motivating
4: you um it's victory i want to win and i can i feel like i already have one and i'm just kind of i'm just doing the things that i need to do to get to the place where i ultimately am a champion like i can feel it i love it i love the fight i love being in the me- media every day following the stories which are all effectively arguments beating them back and you know pushing forward towards world domination
0: <laughs> fantastic thank you so much for being on again folks that's piratewires.com check out mike solana's work there thank you so much for being on the thank show
4: thank you for having me and to all of your uh your your listeners love you guys man just a very very interesting guy
0: yeah he's he's very sharp he's a great friend he's doing amazing things again uh everyone check out piratewires.com uh he has a tremendous perspective And uh, keep an eye on that because it's going to be growing.
3: Yeah, we should do more with that guy. Really, really smart guy and comes outside of the box from the typical political people that you deal with every day. So I like his perspective. That was a good interview, Smug.
0: Thank you. And this was a great episode, if I may say so myself. Gentlemen, another banger of an episode. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.